Louise McSharry on 2FM. Now it is time for us to keep going with the show. So it is time for us to talk to the wonderful, the effervescent, the oh-so-intelligent Aoife Moore, political correspondent for the Irish Examiner. Good morning, Aoife. <laughs> Good morning. Sorry, What's the Beyonce guy? of Derry. I forgot. Beyonce of Derry. That's the full <laughs> title. Get right. Come on. How are you doing? I am grand. How are you? I was actually laughing. You were talking about your dad dancing at concerts. Yeah. My dad knows his limits. So when he goes to concerts, he stands with his arms folded and just <laughs> stares at the band with like no expression on his face because he knows his limits. Well, my dad, it's amazing. My dad obviously is a huge U2 fan. And um, I actually wrote about this in my book. Um, so if anybody's listening who's read my book, doubtful. But if you are. Um, <laughs> Buy Louise's book. <laughs> <laughs> if you are, you will have read about my dad and I. We've gone to loads of U2 concerts, but my dad, like... My dad starts texting me on the morning of the concert circa 4.30 a.m. asking me when we're going. And we will be, like, we have been outside Croke Park at 7 a.m., 6 a.m., waiting wow. so that we can be and the thing is he doesn't even want to be up the very front he just wants mm. to be in the pit and he cannot <laughs> relax unless he knows that that's happening so we have had, we have loads of hilarious stories but once they come on he transforms into like his teenage self it is truly incredible <laughs> to see it's like uh, honestly I feel so hashtag blessed to have experienced it on multiple occasions <laughs> um, so yeah I, I wonder I, I'd love to see your dad and my dad side by side at a concert like that um, okay if your dad pushed if your dad pushed my dad there would be a fight <laughs> <laughs> And to be honest, that could happen um, with the way he dances. Okay, uh, now let's get going because we've got lots to talk about and obviously we have to talk about COVID. Yeah, so 434 cases last night, uh, four further deaths, which is not great, but it's kind of what we've become used to, especially with the case numbers. Yeah. However, there is some good news. So Dr. Ronan Glenn, the CMO, said the hospital numbers are quite encouraging. He said our current situation is stable but uncertain, which sounds like my mood most of the time. Um, (laughs) um, On Monday, the hairdressers are back. Hairdressers, if you have a caravan, um, you can go to your caravan. Intercounty Travel is returning the phased reopening of non-essential retail, so we'll click and collect. Um, Cultural services, galleries, museums and other cultural attractions. It's very exciting. And there's other great things in there too. Like, you know, religious services can resume. Mm -hmm. 50 people attending. 50 people now allowed at funerals. That's um, great. Which I know is really important to a lot of people. Yeah. So there is is some, some good news. Like, we're getting there, but... Just not getting there quick enough, in my opinion. It does. It does feel though like the tide has kind of turned. Like we are de- mm-hmm. making definite progress. The vaccines are coming out. It feels like a lot faster. And mm-hmm. you know, obviously, as time goes on, more and more people are vaccinated, which is just wonderful. So it's great to just be even on that course when you think about where we were even like six months ago. God, I know. I know. Um. Okay. So, <laughs> um, tell me about this research, which indicates that our COVID death toll is actually not accurate. Yeah, I was kind of incredulous about this. So the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, they're um, based in Washington. And basically they have done analysis um, around the world. And they say that COVID-19 has caused more than 7,000 deaths in Ireland, which is over 2,000 than we have coded. Over 2,000 They basically said, yeah, yeah, they said that um, deaths are being significantly underreported in almost every country. 
Um, and basically they said that in Ireland they think it's around 7,113 up to last Monday. And on what basis, like, do they think that yeah, deaths that so are actually COVID-related are being reported as non-COVID-related deaths? Yeah, so they, it's like a really wide spectrum. So they consider all causes of deaths and lives saved related to the pandemic. Mm. But because of a lack of data, a lot of this is estimates on excess mortality. Mm. I don't think we'll ever really know until we're out of it. And I'm sure there's going to be, like, there's, there's already talks in different European countries about inquiries into what happened in nursing homes and, and stuff like that. So I think it'll be one of those things that we'll not really know the true extent of COVID until we're out of it. Because yeah. you need to remember, like everyone's kind of flying by the seat of their pants. I know we're a year on date, but it's still, you know, a once in a lifetime pandemic that no one was prepared for. So I wouldn't be surprised (laughs) if the numbers change. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, It's interesting though. You you kind of go, does it matter? Like not, does it matter that people died? Of course. But like if people have died and their deaths have, are being processed and their loved ones are aware of their deaths, like, you know, do the, how important are the numbers really in terms of people moving forward I suppose maybe it is very important to some people I think it'll probably also be a metric of how you measure how effective the government response was right um so that'll be another part of it like you can see obviously when you look at the England's numbers or the UK's numbers of deaths compared to our European countries you know it's huge yeah and you know it's been used as this kind of stuck to beat Boris Johnson with because you know they went for the whole herd immunity madness for the first two weeks yeah so I think that'll be, it'll be more a metric to use um, on how you measure government, um, how effective governments were rather than anything else, I think. Right, okay. Um, well, speaking of government, Fianna Falls, uh, <laughs> I gather, giving themselves a message. Yeah, so <laughs> there was the parliamentary parties um, meetings on Wednesdays. Um, as for people on social media know, uh, they're usually live tweeted uh, mm-hmm. by my boss. <laughs> <laughs> Fianna Falls especially is a very leaky parliamentary party. Um, so they had their meeting on Wednesday and it was on the same day that the affordable housing bill came before the doll. Mm. And basically people aren't happy with it. Um, you know, Fianna Fáil had their own um, press conference with a, with a number of their own TDs and senators who called on the minister to, you know, do more and make it more effective. But he's in their party. It was all quite odd. Mm. Anyway, it all kind of came to a head there last week on Wednesday. And they basically said that, so John Lahart is the senior TD in Fianna Fáil, made this very big speech. Everyone said he was very animated about housing. And he said that we are drowning in the shadows of Fine Gael housing policy. Mm-hmm. He went on this kind of long spiel and he said, you know, we can't be seen to be cozying up to Fine Gael because they see... They think the public sees Fianna Gael's housing policy as toxic and they need to distance themselves from this housing policy, notwithstanding that the housing minister is in Fianna Fáil. Um, And basically he said, you know, this is the main issue other than COVID. This is what people really care about. It's what the election was about. And they need to differentiate themselves somehow. John Lahart said if it wasn't for COVID, people would be marching in the streets and he'd be with them. Wow. So, yeah, and like this is this was always going to be the issue when Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael went into government together is how do you separate yourself? You know, when you're going out to fight for votes, mm. you know, people will say, well, what's the difference between you and Fianna Gael? And they might have different policies, but once you're in government together and they are more alike yeah. um, than they would be, say, to the Green Party, the Green Party can obviously differentiate itself because of its focus on the environment. Yeah. 
but Fianna and Fianna Gael don't really have that. Yeah. So this is going to be an ongoing issue because the housing crisis is not going anywhere. No, and, and I mean, unless we see like. Sorry, go on. No, I was going to say that's the thing. Like, you know, whatever about what impact it has on the political parties, the fact is people are suffering as a result of the housing crisis in this country yeah. every day. And like that's, our, you know, the next thing we have to talk about is the fact that there are people who have, you know, the right status to remain in the country who are stuck in direct provision because they can't find housing to leave. Like, that's shocking. Y- yeah, and like this, this story is totally unsurprising. We've heard about this every year. These stats come out about you know people who have their visas, um, their right to remain has been accepted, but they still live in direct provision centres because there just isn't anywhere to live. Mm. So there's over a thousand asylum seekers who are now allowed to stay in Ireland, um, which obviously would have been great news and a great relief for them. And now they have to stay in a direct provision centre. 309 of them are children. And we know about the ongoing issues um, within direct provision centres, um, you know, with food and space and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we talked about it last week about the report on how children are treated in direct in some direct provision centres. Mm. So this is another thing that is only going to get worse because we know we've lost almost a year in construction mm. um, where houses would have been built. Mm. And... Yeah, it's just really, really depressing. It was a parliamentary question from Owen O'Brien, the Sinn Féin uh, housing spokesperson, and, you know, Roderick O'Gorman, the children's minister, who's um, basically now got responsibility for direct provision. He said that they are working. They support these residents to move out of this accommodation. but And he's had, working with, you know, DePaul Ireland and the Jesuit Re- Refugee Service and stuff. But as I say, you know, us... I say us, but me not being able to buy a house is one thing. But you I don't know, own a the house ability either. to rent. <laughs> I rent too. Okay, us, right? <laughs> yeah. So we don't have the ability to buy a house, but we can rent. But the other thing is these are people who are being kept in direct provision centres. You know, some of them don't have their own kitchens. They're yeah. being told what to eat and when to eat. Yeah. And they don't actually have to be there. Yeah, I mean, that's just, I think it's just appalling. And, and what an indictment of the situation. Um, now, we don't have a huge amount of time left, Aoife, but uh, India is obviously still in the news because they are struggling mm-hmm. um, in terms of COVID. But now neighbouring countries are also facing major catastrophe. Yeah, so Nepal, which borders um, India, where the Himalayas are, um, it's a really, it's a small country. Mm. They're obviously going to get the yet spell over now from India. So COVID-19 is running like rife through the country. And the issue is that they, Nepal is landlocked and it depends on India for medical supplies. Mm. But because we know what's happening in India and India needs to hold on to its own medical supplies, mm. it's causing more issues in Nepal. So the country reported its highest daily number of new infections last week with over 9,000 new cases. And you need to remember that, that Nepal is pretty country, small. Yeah. And their health service is basically buckling under, you know, the amount of people in hospital. Their test, their national test positivity rate is coming back at 47%. So that means for every two people that's getting tested, one of them has COVID. Mm. Um, So, yeah, they've also started their vaccination plan, but... And we're in such a panic that now they don't have enough second shots to give to people. Mm. So they gave people like their first shot of AstraZeneca. But because it was such a mishmash of how they were rolling out the vaccines, they don't have enough now to give people their second shot, mm. which is obviously another nightmare to be contending with. Mm. Um, the other issue is obviously loads of international flights have been cancelled. Mm. And because the place is landlocked and they depend on other countries, this is stopping aid coming into the country. 
it's it's just horrendous yeah. and it seems to be the same issues that happened in India, you know, the kind of bad rollout of uh, vaccines, but also kind of mishmash about mask wearing, not yeah. taking stuff too seriously, you know, not a lot of ability to social distance and people who needed to go to work, even if they didn't feel well, because they didn't feel supported to stay off work because obviously they would need money for their families and stuff mm -hmm. and you know the same things we're hearing about India is the same as what we're hearing about Nepal so yeah. cremation centres around the country are filling up fast and um, people are arguing over you know plots of land to bury their families there's not enough priests to give people the last rites mm. um it's just horrendous it's like as we were saying last week like it's like apocalyptic it just mm. sounds like the most awful situation yeah. so there is aid being sent um like India had you know from America and Ireland um, they are going to. They're sent. There's going to be aid now sent from other international countries, but they basically said it's a war zone and they just can't get in and aid in quick yeah, enough. The logistics. Oh God. Well, mm -hmm. we'll have to watch and hope that that turns around. Um, and and now just very finally and quickly, some bad news for the people of Ireland. Um, Sudocream, one of our my God proudest products, <laughs> is leaving us. It's up us. there with Tato. Yeah. <laughs> This is cream, the tub, the 20 year old tub that everyone has in their house is um, manufactured in Baldoyle in Dublin. And they announced yesterday that they were going to be leaving their manufacture plant in Dublin and they are moving 110 jobs to Troyan in Bulgaria. Mm -hmm. So there's 110 loss, jobs being lost in Dublin, which is obviously really worrying for um, these people and their families in the middle of the pandemic. Mm. But I learned loads of facts about Sudocreme yesterday. Um, so <laughs> it was invented in a pharmacy in Cabra in 1931. And it's also, the north it's called Sudocreme because it's the way a Dublin accent says Sudden Cream. What? So it became Sudocreme. Yeah, I never knew that. Yesterday. By the way, if my dad yeah. is listening, I am from the south side, but I live in the north side. I'm actually um, a bi, bi, bipartisan now person whatever uh, but that's well, gas so fighter. it's about the accent pseudocreme mm -hmm. soothing cream. yeah yeah that makes so that's sense. where it comes from Love read it. that yesterday Love yeah it. so it was soothing cream but basically yeah it's a like it's sad obviously because pseudocreme's been this irish thing for so long everyone yeah, has it iconic. in their house but also more worrying for the people um who've lost their jobs absolutely because as we know we're in a pandemic and it's just it'll be an incredibly worrying time um and it's not the first uh, plant to leave Baldoyle um, in mm. North Dublin so there was another pharmaceutical uh, company announced that they were leaving in December as well and they would lose another 440 jobs so it's just um, yeah it's not yeah, great it's just really worrying as, um, as like I know there was plenty of jokes about it yesterday but I think people losing their jobs is a bigger deal than people being sad about Sudokreen <laughs> yeah 100% um, now it's not happening immediately is it no, no. So it'll be in the next, what? We're in 2021 now. So 2023. So okay, so years. hopefully then maybe at least we won't be in the depths of the pandemic, hopefully when these people are job hunting. Mm. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's the reality of it. Okay, well, Aoife Moore, thank you so much for being with us and explaining the news so wonderfully today. That's Aoife Moore, political correspondent for the Irish Examiner. I hope you have a lovely week, Aoife. Thank you. See you later. Talk soon. Louise McSherry on 2FM.